Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, we're going back over to the UK to be joined by Kim Antonio the CEO and founder of Oris Tech. Kim, you're very welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Ian, for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Delighted to have you. Typical fashion with the show is we focus around three kind of main areas and then see how we go. So uh, early influences, challenges, pivotal moments. So no different with you. I believe if my research is correct, you grew up in London, North London. Yeah. Um, what were your early days growing up in North London like? Any standout moments, favorite memories? Um, and I, I was was uh, grew up actually. We sort of came from a fairly humble background. We sort of shared a house with our grandparents, a tiny house with our grandparents. We sort of had upstairs, they had downstairs. Um, but then that wasn't un- uncommon in sort of early sixties, and um, yeah, had a very loving family background, great parents, uh, big family, sort of tons of cousins. And, um, and you know, just, just had a very good start in the context of knowing that, you know, I've got a good family environment around me. Mm. So. Yeah, you, one of the questions I usually ask is, uh, do you come from a family of entrepreneurs? Because the audience here is, is entrepreneurs and founders. And you spent 20 years working in the family business, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yeah, uh, right. But yes, yes, I did. But actually, it's kind of a family business that kind of my generation created. So it wasn't as if we came from a family background because our family were all entrepreneurs. It was to the contrary. I think, you know, in my family, nobody ever went to to college or university it was all quite uncommon but I was very lucky that um well one I I don't think I was just about to say that I was taught by a phenomenal entrepreneur somebody in my um close family that I I, uh, sorry close influence that I worked for my first job when I was sort of 12 13 years old was working for a a wonderful lady who was a single mum because her husband had gone long since who had a, a chain of shops and uh, so I worked for her she was the most incredible entrepreneur and I think she was probably my first mentor without a doubt and it it made me realize that I had a very entrepreneurial spirit right from from back then so I think that I kind of created um the idea of us kind of going into business at some point I sort of almost sort of trained the family into that direction uh, and you're saying she's a, a big age. she's a big inspiration of what led you into business is that what you're saying absolutely I think it was that can do attitude you know that she'd had loads and loads and loads of knocks in her life yet she still sort of brushed herself off and and carried on and became a very successful um lady who had a a, a small chain of of dress shops to uh, ladies dress shops and um you know, that was my first experience of business. And I think it's, it's um, stayed, you know, stayed with me forever. That, that idea that, you know, you, you, you make your own life, you make your mm. own luck. It's amazing to see the impact people can have on us from such an early age, even right to, to today, the present day. So you, you grew up in 
the family business for 20, 20 years as a commercial director and owner. What was it that got you involved in? Actually, let me re-ask that. What was it that got you involved in the family business? But also, I've worked in with my father for a number of years, uh, and I've spoken to a number of people, friends who worked in family businesses. From your side, I'm kind of curious to know, one, what was it that got you involved in it? But two, what was it like working with family? And were there any, was there any lessons learned? I find it sometimes hard to switch off between family mode and business mode. Uh, absolutely. So actually, the business that we had in property was actually created by me and my husband. And, um, and that was a challenge, I have to say, after working closely together, I mean, I used to do very much the, the business, the administration and the kind of promotion side of the business. And he would be the one that ran the actual practical side, the construction side, the teams, um, and would do all the refurbishments and everything. And we, we learn after a, not a great deal of time that the best way that we can work together is actually not work in the same office or not work directly together and actually it's probably preferable if we don't work in the same building because we we are both very different and very very um unique he was extremely hands-on and um mm. you know extremely proficient on the actual practical side uh and i was always the one that would um i suppose create the opportunity and and build the sort of business side the profile side and everything so and and, and we worked very very differently i, I suppose um, in in a in a business and in a family and in a marriage, it's about it's a good thing to have a balance and different personalities. And I'm by far the, I guess the the entrepreneur, the risk taker, because you've got to be a bit of a risk taker to be an entrepreneur. And Ron is extremely solid and I'm going to say kind of reliable and would get things done practical had a really good eye for just going in and seeing what a property needed and how mm. it could be we changed it but I would be the one that made sure that we you know made the best out of all of that so it worked very well for a long time and I love I mean I love the property industry I love construction even now I can walk into someone's uh walk into a property and sort of thing all oh, that needs 45,000 spent on it and this is what you need to do to kind nice. of turn it round. It's just something that was instinctive, but it's, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a, a good background. Property is obviously a really good, a good solid um, industry to be in, even, for, even now. For sure. Uh, before we get into business, a small segment I like to do with people is kind of to get to know them a little more. Um, so a couple of things I know about you, uh, you're a mother. Uh, you've been to places like, Barbados and Greece. I know you're a huge fan of Edinburgh. So what's one thing you're into or curious about that not a lot of people would know about you? Um, I'm a granny, actually. Not just Congrats. a granny. I'm a granny. Got uh, seven grandchildren. Wow. And we've got five kids between us. So we've got seven, seven grandchildren. And um, um, yeah, what else? What's that like, having seven grandkids? Do they Expensive. occupy a lot of your time? Expensive. <laughs> uh, no it's, it's 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 brilliant actually it's um it's wonderful and i i love um the fact that they are they're all very very different and they all the relationship that i have with them all is very very different and it's funny because they come to me the old granny for tech advice or for you know sort of business advice and tech advice so i've never been a very traditional mum or grandma um and, you know, I always maintain that my husband was a much better mum than I was because I was 
very much more into sort of, you know, building the businesses and so on. Not that I didn't have mm. a great relationship with my kids because I have a phenomenal relationship with my kids. But um, I was always, you know, more effective um, as a mom and as a human when I was able to just, you know, just, just work and, and build things. Nice. It's interesting that you say your grandkids come to you for tech advice, something that uh, is a kind of an ongoing internal joke between me and my father. My father is 56 and uh, he's very tech savvy and he loves, he has shiny object syndrome. Um, and and often we'll sometimes be on calls and people will compliment the new toy or the new little slick thing that, that he's done, but they'll give me the compliment as if I'm teaching him how to do it. And I'm in the back of my head going, well, I'll take the compliment, but I don't know how to do half of the stuff that he knows how to do. And it frustrates him because he's like, they're just complimenting you because you're the younger looking guy. So um, uh, anyway. Yeah, well, well on, that, on that note, you need to link me with your dad. I'm sure we'll get on very, very well. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I, I think the only advice that my, my grandchildren now give me is how to use TikTok. <laughs> That's addictive. And I still don't get that. And I still don't get it. Uh, I've deleted it from my phone a couple of times just because some nights you just sit there I've now got a meditation app instead because I could sit on that for an hour and a half and time flies you're a serial entrepreneur in my eyes Uh, the business you're part of now Irish Technology is not your first and only business Um, so a couple of questions what do you think holds people back who might have an idea but uh, don't execute on the idea is there any common things that you see I think limiting beliefs is the one that's obviously a, a, a core thing and quite regularly people don't always think they can do what they can do um, I think sometimes not knowing the right people um, and not knowing who the right people are um, I've always done very well by understanding what I want to do, having a vision, having an attitude that says I can do anything and mm. there's nothing you can't do without time and budget. And I believe that entirely. Um, but I'm also a very good sense checker of my own skills and my own limitations and abilities. And I've learned over the years that you don't have to do everything yourself. And I think that's, that's um, a kind of a mindset but I think that's often the thing that prevents people from doing things. Can I, can I really do this? Will people listen? You know, um, have I got the right idea? All of these things kind of come up when you're thinking about mm. business. Um, and I think that could be quite limiting for a lot of people. I, I work um, from time to time with, with youngsters, a lot of young, young, young girls and young women that are sort of starting off in business. And, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm an absolute phenomenal advocate for kind of making sure people realize their worth and make, making sure people understand you can do literally whatever you want to do if you put your mindset to it. Um, so I'm a, I'm a strong believer in that. You're, uh, you've got a phenomenal track record as an entrepreneur. A lot of people speak positively of you. What put you on my radar was the numerous blogs you're listed in as one of the top entrepreneurs across the UK. Um, But a question that I've uh, put to some people recently, uh, and I'm putting to you because of the comments you made about um, your work ethic and how hard your work is. Do you believe that as a founder, 
you've got freedom or as a founder, you have the illusion of freedom? Um, I think it depends on who your team are, who your, your kind of, you know, your, your peers are. I have, I'm lucky that in both of the businesses, both Cafoodle and in Oris, um, I've got a, a phenomenal co-founder in, in Cafoodle. And so therefore, um, I, I think that we both feel empowered to do stuff which mm -hmm. is really important. I'm not operational in Cafoodle any longer. I'm still brand ambassador. And, you know, the business was built from my own personal experience of my husband nearly dying in a restaurant because some bad information around allergies. So wow. I'm a strong advocate um, and tremendous supporter and the number one fan of Cafoodle. Um, but my, my co-founder now runs that business and she runs it perfectly. And, um, so, you know, and she's empowered to do that. And that's absolutely mm -hmm. brilliant. In Oris, I've got a really strong, which, which is the business I'm in, opera, I'm fully operational in. Um, yeah. I've got a really um, a, a strong team. We all know where, what our, importantly, we all know our own functionality. We all know what we're supposed to do within the business. And I think that that's really important. And when you know that, then you know you are empowered to do stuff. Yeah. Um, it's it's awful for some founders and some businesses when you are restricted with perhaps that's because you've got a VC in in the business that has got so much money or influence mm -hmm. in the business that you can't your hands are pretty tied um, and I think that you know we're very lucky with with Oris and and with Cafoodle but you know mainly with Oris we're lucky that all the people that have either invested in the business or have invested you know, because we, we work with some quite a, a few celebrities and our brand ambassador, for example, is Claire Balding, who is absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that, you know, when you're working with, with great people that know what they've got to do, that have got the same vision as you, then you're always empowered to do what you need to do. And, and it, you shouldn't be in a position where you are prevented from leading. And people put you in the job as... The CEO is the kind of pivotal, pivotal thing here. People, you hope, vote for, elect for you to kind of have that role. You know, a founder is a founder. The inventor of a business is an inventor of a business. But, you know, it's the CEO that actually has to drive the vision, you know, hold the vision, you know, create the culture. And, you know, um, coach, don't teach. And I think that, you know, and if you, if you choose, you know, your CEO wisely, then you you they should be empowered to, to drive because what you're saying to that person is, we trust that you understand and you can hold the vision and that you will grow and scale the business mm. to the best of your ability because you've got that, you know, because you're holding that that core vision. I want to get into Oris and the great things you're doing there. But before I do, I've got one more question around being uh, a founder. And it is, um, I, I, I read this book regularly and it's the 13 blind spots of what can hold back an otherwise healthy business. Blind spots like not focusing on lead generation, training and onboarding, hiring, several different blind spots. But uh, kind of that's just a painted picture of what I mean by a blind spot. What's in your eyes, what's one blind spot that uh, people should not ignore uh, might often be overlooked by people, but if they can get it right, it can make a huge impact. I, I think 
if you look at that right now, in this particular point in time post-pandemic, an example of a blind spot is the way that literacy is being um, uh, treated at the moment in the context of the it's important. And that I think is going to create a really strong skills gap, a skills crisis going forward. Mm -hmm. I think that, um, and I think that that is probably quite a limiting thing and quite a, a blind spot that if we're not careful is going to bite us on the bottom a little bit further along because you need to, to get to a particular point, you need to go through various steps. So if I can give you the analogy of, of reading Please. and children. So it's, it's, know, a, it's a good segue into the next question. <laughs> so for example, in early years, they need to learn to speak and children need to learn to, you know, they need to learn to speak, they need to learn phonics, they need to learn to read. Then they need to practice their reading and they need to, all of this kind of evolves. And then you need to get to a certain stage when you go from your primary school to your secondary school. Um, and if you haven't reached that level for reading at the end of primary school, then as reading is the foundation of all learning, then it's gonna be harder for you to actually get through your secondary education, your secondary school. If you then transpose that to the next stage, which is maybe further, further education or work, you know, if you mm -hmm. haven't had those natural stepping stones, then it's going to make it really hard for some people to actually just open doors you know, um, I was talking to a CEO of, um, of, a, of a really big recruitment company yesterday, who's a, a, an old um, business friend of mine. And he was saying that they are so worried about what they're calling the skills crisis, because you've got people, kids that are coming in, you know, sorry, I still consider late teenagers and kids in their early 20s to be kids. But, you know, you've got people coming in and because they haven't had all of the right foundation, um, then they are finding it hard to, you know, to conduct themselves in an interview or to fill in all the right forms. And if you don't, nowadays, there is so much, um, for an employer, there are so many people out there that you could be quite choosy. And if you haven't been able to get to a point where you can actually present yourself very well on paper or at an interview, then you're going to be left behind. You might be a genius. Mm -hmm. You know, you might be an absolute genius. Um, but if you can't portray yourself, you know, in in a basic form on a you know and a job application or in a and in an interview, I think it's going to be a thing. And I think that is the going to be one of the biggest blind spots in business. Um, you can fix only from an early age. You know, and you know, and then it's a lot of backfilling, and then mm. it's working out what do you do to do that backfilling. And I think if you're, you know, for those for those young people, if they manage to find employment where they've got a business that understands it's about personality, you know, there's that expression about you know you in you you take people on for their attitude. You can teach them tasks. Mm -hmm. You can teach them the skills, but not all businesses have that attitude or have the time to nurture their people? Well, when, I, when you're talking, here's how I'm interpreting it. Um, 
schools in the early years, if you view them rather as, uh, you know, first class, second class, third class, if you view them as levels, it seems to me that if you view them as levels, it's very easy to fall behind because you're moving from one level to another level in a relatively short period of time. So uh, your technology we're about to talk about helps bridge that gap, but also by making sure that you continue to go up those levels and, you know, reading as an important thing, that gives you the ability to think, which then gives you the ability to form an opinion, which is vitally important as well. So nailing this in the early years pays dividends in the later years. It pays dividends in the later years in the later years, but it also can create massive problems in the later years if you don't attend to it, if it doesn't, if it does get overlooked. And um, so, yeah, 100%. I've heard a number of lectures, uh, professors talk about the importance of uh, reading and writing essays, because again, it gives you the ability to think and form opinions. And essentially you're doing that, but starting from uh, the, the very elementary age so talk to me. People might be confused about we're talking about this technology. What is it that you've built? Right. Okay. So um, if I if I can just give you kind of a little bit of the history of it, actually. And please why do. We, please. Why we started it in the first place. Um, me and my co-founder, a, a, an incredibly talented man um, called Bill Bungay, a tremendously successful um, entrepreneur and businessman. Uh, we were having lunch one day in a Chinese restaurant about seven years ago. And it was a few days after an incident that I'd had with my grandson, who was two at the time, who basically was getting a bit fractious. And so I gave him my iPhone and I put Chuckington, his favorite movie, on my, on my phone. At this stage, he was two. He could not string a sentence together. Yet he easily kind of just swiped. When it finished, swiped and went on to the next video. And it's like, my God. He can't string a sentence together, yet he knows how to use it instinctively. It's inherent. He just understood, knew how to do it. Obviously, they, you know, kids imitate, don't they? And they that's what their parents are probably doing, but it's instinctive. Now, that coupled with the fact that two, my, my two children are, are dyslexic. And for them, reading aloud was the most terrifying thing they ever um, had to do at school. Um, you know, because they knew that they couldn't easily comfortably read in their head, let alone read aloud. Um, and I was talking to Bill over lunch about this challenge and we'd got this idea that we wanted to build some kind of app together. And remember I said earlier, I don't think there's anything that you can't do if you've got budget and you've got, you know, time. you've got an idea, you've got budget and you've got time. Um, so we said, you know, over lunch, well, let's build an app that was basically would help you know children to read so basically they would have something that for something would happen within the app that would show them that it was listening to them and it would encourage them to go on and so on and so forth but we had this idea that screen time was going to be off the scale and we weren't wrong and mm. that most times kids will be not doing educational things on apps they'll be watching movies or playing games well step forward into the you know into 2021 and you know, it's 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 a thing, isn't it? Screen time is a massive yeah, thing. Yeah, big. The, the problem that we had, so we came away from our from our lunch, and um, we can do this. Yeah, let's let's crack on because there was a bit of a gap. There was a point when when I went from construction, I was very 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 into technology, and 
I then morphed into, I, I worked with my brother and we had a creative agency where I then started to get very much into to web and, and software development and so on. So that, that was a big period of time in between construction and what I'm doing right now. Um, so I was always very, very, very technical. I'm, I'm like your dad. I like a shiny thing. You know, if you <laughs> look around me at the moment, I've got every version of, of a piece of equipment that Mac, you know, that Apple, you know, make and they all kind of synced and everything. So mm. I was very, very, very into technology. And I felt that technology was going to be a leveler, especially when it came to education. Now, the challenge and the problem that we had was to build an app of that nature, you needed to have a voice technology that understood children's reading. And that simply didn't exist. So we thought we were building a little app, but we actually ended up building a voice recognition engine that listens to children as they read. And because it has been trained with all UK based accents, including where English is a second language, it's got an accuracy in the context of children reading of almost human parity. Mm -hmm. So, um, and so, you know, we, we thought we were doing and that building an app, but we actually had to build the technology, which is a completely and utterly different proposition and goes back to my, you can do anything you want, you think you, know, you can do anything you want to do if you have the right intent, the right vision and find the right people. And for us, the right people were in the University of Edinburgh. And that's where my passion for Scotland came in because we were introduced to an incredible academic by the name of Dr. Peter, Dr. Peter Bell Mm-hmm. in the School of Informatics in Edinburgh. And he is a world-renowned expert on speech technology. And we approached him, we were introduced, and these people only take on projects that they think are, you know, there's a good likelihood that they could, you know, make a difference or that they are unique um, and different. And he looked at our our first version of the technology that we had a stab at and said, the theory is perfect. And if you had done things in a slightly different direction, then you'd have had a better level of of accuracy and success in our first prototype. We then took what we, we had, went back to the drawing board and with the university, we started from scratch and they created the algorithms and the clever technology that's behind our now patented technology, um, which has allowed us to claim that we have, you know, the the first engine that actually accurately listens to children's voices as they read aloud and is able to um, report back on things like accuracy, time read, um, and really yeah. important things like what words were difficult, you know, um, and do things like suggest if they're reading books in one level or perhaps they their reading ability allows them to go on to the next level or make suggestions based on what they're mm. actually doing. 
This is phenomenal. I want to continue talking about this, but what I've noticed are a couple of things. One, uh, the last two businesses you've started have come from a problem with a family member. Your husband almost dying and your grandkid being frustrated. Uh, interesting. Um, you talked about screen time being a rising issue, but to me, your app or your technology is essentially guilt-free screen time because it's Thank learning. you. Thank, thank you. You can join my marketing team. That's exactly what it is. Um, it is. It's entirely. It's yeah. It, we, you know, we we. It is very much sort of guilt time, spring time. It's it, and it's also, it's safe. I think mm. one of our one of my board members is um, a very clever gentleman by the name of Colin Tankard, and he is a world class expert in data protection and cyber security. So. When you're working with collateral like children's voices and we children's, you know, um, voices and information, you've got to make sure that you're super, super, super secure and super responsible with all of that. Um, so, you know, having having him in the mix, you know, you're talking about sort of finding the right people, having him in the mix and on our board is is pretty um amazing cool. for us mm. and essential because you know it's all about being responsible it is and that word is key because uh it set me on a, a sidetrack there there's a, there's a fantastic woman i had on my podcast who was this technology called clitter which essentially is like a, a protection software that you can install on your child's phone when you buy it so it's not an app on the phone it's installed on the phone and what it will do is it will go into the like a WhatsApp, any messaging app they have. And if the child is looking at websites that you don't want them to be looking at, or if it, the AI can pick up on if they're being bullied, it will send a warning signal to the parent. So I think what you and other people are doing is fantastic. I'll connect you with, I can't remember her name, but it was one or two others that I wanted to connect you with as well after this. Um, uh, she's she's working closely with Vodafone across the world as well. They're rolling it out with her. That's so, um it is one because because I know your one of your aims this year is to reach a quarter of a million children. Um, but one of the th questions that I had was uh, a Birmingham accent is very different to a Newcastle accent, and a Newcastle accent is very different different to an Irish accent. So, did you have to travel up north, down south? To, absolutely, a yeah. ab absolutely. So we had um, a team of. Uh, data collection a couple of young ladies that were awesome and it was so funny because um, Cinnamon who was one of the girls um, on the team and she'd never stayed in a hotel in her life and yeah. she'd never been on an aeroplane and uh, her and Humor the other the, the other uh, member of the team literally uh, I they had this road map this road trip that literally took them to every single city in the UK and Ireland and recorded children's voices in schools, in school playgrounds, in libraries, in different things. So we've got all of these different accent groups. And, and that, as I say, includes children where English is the second language, because that is a very, you know, that's, that's, that's portion, normal yeah. life. That's normal life. So, um, I mean, they even went into the Scottish Highlands, they went to Dublin. By the time they had finished, it took them a year, Cinnamon said to me, I don't ever want to stay in a hotel again. Um, but that was absolutely critical for us. And also it's that that has helped us to ensure that our, um, our, 
our engine is proficient with all of those accents. We've, we've since, that was back in 2015, we've since started data collection in India and we've just partnered with the university in, um, uh, in Australia to do some data collection in Australia. Um, but our engine has been, you know, just really needs to be trained with the different access, accent groups to get that kind of level of accuracy. But it's, you know, and I think that, you know, you talk about people achieving their goals and their original vision. Some of the time, the reason people don't do things is because they're just hard. And I mean, when you, you know, when you start a 12 month project and you say you're actually going to go all over the country and you're going to record thousands of children reading, it feels like a mammoth task. There's no shortcut and, to that though. And there is no shortcut. There is absolutely, and our engine now continually learns. So data collection for us will never be that hard again because, and it does it in an extremely clever way because it doesn't, it's, it doesn't capture the person or any connection to the person. It just uses as people are reading that, that clever tech, you know, that their voice to kind of do the math and to ever improve without actually having to um, constantly do more and more voice recording. So it gets better and better all the time. But yes, it was, it was a, a mission. It was, yeah. an, and it, you know, and it was expensive. Absolutely. Well, not only just staying in hotels for a whole year or across the place, but um, I noticed recently, I can't remember, was it a couple of weeks or a couple of months ago, you celebrated nine years in business. Kudos and congrats on that. But uh, I don't know if you started in year one ever imagining what would happen in 2020 and 2021. Well, the, the has the, sorry. I was going to say, has that been a, a even further setback for kids that's separating some kids more because they're not spending time in school now absolutely um i think that there is a whole big um um mission now a whole big campaign around leveling up mm -hmm. and i think that you know for sure the pandemic has had a massive impact on children's reading and um the reality is there are some children that have come out of the pandemic they've used the experience in the last 15 months perhaps they've got parents that have been at home with them helping them with their schooling um or maybe they've had tutors or maybe they've had a school that has been done zoom classes really effectively and they're actually improved their reading levels have improved but there are a lot of children um the government claim that there's going to be over 200,000 children that are going wow. to leave school next month in England without reaching the expected level for reading for their age. Oh. And now, the, the reality is they talk about catch up and what we need to do to, to help kids catch up. But children, the damage that's been done in that sort of 15 months is going to have an immeasurable negative impact on them over the next few years and I believe that the only or not the only but probably the most effective way of creating a level playing field is by the use of technology mm -hmm. um, yeah and um, sorry how do you plan to do that because I know you have a lofty goal of a quarter of a million to get into the hands of a quarter of a million kids this year, but how do you plan to, to do that? 
Well, um, we're, we're already on our, our way. I mean, as I say, we're, we're very um, lucky to have the patronage and support of Claire Balding, who is uh, amazing. And she does speak on behalf of, of Oris. Fenetti is the product, by the way. Fenetti is the reading app. Mm. Um, and that's F-O-N-E-T-T-I. Um, I'll, I'll but, leave links to all of this stuff below so that anyone's curious or interested, whether they're a parent okay. or they're someone who thinks can help increase the spread of the message, click the links below. Thank you so much. Um, so we've been very lucky that we've had some some good celebrity endorsement. You know, we run a campaign over Christmas and we were um, we were very fortunate enough to have the support of people like Adi Adapatan. Um, we had Anna Karais. We had... Judge Rinda, um, Kay Adams from Loose Women, amongst others, that literally kind of helped. They read a story from Fanetti and then they shared it with their social networks, and that has helped create the awareness. Um, and that that's been fantastic. Equally, we released um, our schools platform that we launched in the new year and our celebrity campaign was a bit of a way of kicking that off because we said, look, if you did this for us, you read these stories for us, in turn, we will, um, we will you, you nominate a school of your choice and we will give that entire school access to Fanetti for an entire year to every single child in the school. That yeah. wasn't difficult then to get these celebrities to, work, to, to do that because everybody wants to make a difference, mm -hmm. you know. And I don't know anybody that you know doesn't care about children's education and the children yeah. the opportunity that the kids have. And that led us on to a sponsorship campaign that we're doing with corporates, where um, corporates are basically nominating either a school in their area. They're basically sponsoring, paying for a school in their area, so they can do something that kind of helps the local community. It makes them feel good because they know that there is a problem and that they've got the ability to do something about it. And so we, we are, you know, we're on our way. We're working in loads and loads of schools now. Um, and, but it's all about sort of, you know, and, and opportunities like this to be able to spread the word mm. you know, to parents, download the app. You know, we also, and we'll always, always do this. The platform has always got free books in it. I will never, ever allow there to be money to be a, a limiting factor for the for, to, yeah. to get the experience. So every month we change the free books so they get a little bit of variety. But you know, we want to encourage children to read. So our contribution to helping kids with the catch-up is one, there are always free books in Fanetti. So for home use, um, that's you know that's very important. Um, and in and in schools, um, we've got various authors and publishers that also allow us to have some additional free content that they put out. And then we've got the sponsorship campaign, which means that we are in many schools that have been um, been been you know been sponsored by a business. Mm -hmm. um, which is, is important. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It, I think everyone can get behind it because it resonates. If they haven't got a kid themselves, they've once been a kid themselves. Uh, I know that when I was in school, uh, there was moments where I struggled with reading. Uh, actually, I can remember a couple of times where uh, it was for shame my mother that 
uh, she would reward me with uh, Maltesers if I managed to read to the end of the paragraph without like making a mistake. So uh, that memory just springs to mind. What's your favorite aspect of leading a company? Um, working with experts. I think it, it's funny because, you know, I have various interviews and talk to people about our journey and everything. And you have to sort of analyze yourself. And I think one of the things that I've learned about myself is I don't have much of an ego and I'm not afraid to ask, you know, and I, I, I thoroughly believe that we all have our own individual talents. And so therefore, if you don't have the talents or the particular skills to do something that's critical for your business, then you go out and you find the best possible person with those skills and you ask, will you give us some advice? Will you join us? And you will be surprised of how many people that say yes. Well, the podcast that I'm doing is an example itself. I've got some phenomenal people on the podcast and it's as simple as just asking. So um, I know we're coming up on time. I've, I've got two questions left for you. Curious to know, what's your definition of success? Um, I think my definition of success is knowing that you're doing something that actually actively makes a difference. You know, the thing that pivotal moments, you know, a couple of pivotal moments. One of them for me is the first time I saw a child reading on Fanetti and the look on their face and the joy that, you know, when they finished the book, that they got the fanfare and well done, you've got three stars. You know, for me, that is what it's all about. You know, when I have days when I wake up, as we all do, Rian, going, I am tired. And, you know, this is hard. And then you think about, or you have a conversation with a school teacher, with a head teacher, for example, that, have we frozen? Sorry, well, I thought we froze. No, we're back now. Ah, oh, did we you did get for a second. Did you get any of that? I, I, I heard the start of it. Oh, so shall I do that again? If you could, please. Um, what was the question again? The question was, what keeps you going? Uh, what's your definition of success? So for me, the definition of success is by far having something out there that's positively making a difference and yeah, pivotal moment for me. And I know that's one of the things that we, we spoke about pre, you know, this conversation mm. was the first time I saw a child use Fanetti and read and, and watch the words change color as they get them right. And then get to the end of the book and they get a fanfare and a well done because they finished the book and the look on the children's faces when they have that and go through that experience. For me, that's the thing that, that absolutely does it for me every single time. And we have, um, we have three very important focus groups, like little boards of advisors. Mm-hmm. One of them is with teachers. Another one is with parents, but my favorite one is the one that we have with kids. We have a board of advisors that are all aged between six and 14. 
Amazing. And we learn so much from those kids. Um, and when we've interviewed children and said to them, why do you like Finetti? The times that two words come up and they are confident and brave. It makes me feel brave. It's like, oh. So for it's me, that's, that's success. And, you know, a, a, another, I, the first school that I called to tell them that they had been sponsored for our platform by, it was actually from Adia Dapatan, the wonderful athlete. Mm. And I spoke to this wonderful teacher at a school, St. Anthony's in Hackney in London. And I spoke to her and I told her what had, you know, what had been gifted to her. And I swear she was in tears and said to me, literacy is the biggest problem for us to solve over the next couple of years. And I've been praying for a solution and you've just, you've yeah, just, you know, and I, I remember coming off and speaking to my chairman and saying, oh my God, this is amazing. And he said to me, record that moment, go on to Loom or whatever you use and record how you feel right now. And I did. And the purpose of that was to remind yourself when you're having, you know, when you, when you do get very successful or you've, you know, you've reached your million kids or, you know, you, you expand or you do certain big things, remember, remember why you were motivated in the first place and never lose sight of that. Kim, um, I've had a, a true pleasure spending the last 45, 50 minutes getting to know you and all the great things that you're doing. Uh, from my end, I wish you nothing but the best and continued success. Thank you for being my guest today. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been a great pleasure. If your metro don't trust you, I'm gonna show you. Beautiful morning, get the sun in my morning, babe.